Let's turn together to the Word of God in Mark 15. We'll begin reading at Mark 15, verse 22, and read through verse 38. And they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. The third hour is about nine o'clock in the morning, our time. And the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, Save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, depend, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar, then put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, let alone let us see whether Elias will come, will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost, and the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And that's as far as we read the word this evening. Tonight's sermon text is found in verses 33 and 34. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land 
until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I want to say right at the beginning this evening that in preaching on these verses from the gospel according to Mark, I'm preaching to you about things that I do not fully understand. I don't understand, and I don't think you do either, the suffering of our Savior on the cross, for there is no one else who ever suffered as he did. Only those who under the just judgment of God go away into eternal punishment will know what Christ suffered on the cross. But by the grace of God, you and I will never know that or understand what he went through in his suffering. Especially, I don't understand how the Son of God come in our flesh to be sure, but the Son of God could speak in his agonies of being forsaken of God. I don't even begin to understand that. But I believe it. I believe that he was forsaken, that he suffered beyond anything you and I can possibly imagine. I believe, as I'm sure you do also, that in the darkness, he became the light of the world. I believe, as I trust you do also, that somehow, beyond our understanding, his being forsaken of God is the reason why you and I are accepted of God and will never be forsaken of him as the form for the Lord's Supper 
reminds us. So the theme of this evening's sermon is Jesus forsaken in darkness. And I'm going to talk about the darkness that was over the land, but also about the darkness that came on our Savior, the darkness that was in his soul when he cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then about the darkness that is by the death of Jesus Christ and by all that he suffered in the darkness dispelled for us. Those three things this evening. A few things about verse 33, when the sixth hour was come, that was about noon, by our reckoning, when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. That darkness was miraculous. I'm sure you know that and believe that. But that needs to be emphasized because there are those who try to explain it all away in terms of an eclipse of the sun. But if you look up the parallel passage in Luke, I think you'll be convinced, as I am, that this was a darkness only like the darkness that came on the land of Egypt as part of the ten plagues. Exodus says a darkness that could be felt. And Luke, Luke confirms that when he describes the coming of that darkness. You can look up the passage for yourselves. He indicates in his description of this darkness that it was nothing like an eclipse of the sun, but that what happened was a sudden darkness that completely blotted out the light of the sun. A darkness very much like the darkness that came on Egypt. And of course, Mark indicates that too by telling us that that darkness lasted for the three hours of Jesus' most intense suffering. No darkness ever, 
except in Egypt, like this darkness. But you must also understand, and I want you to turn with me in that connection to Luke 22, verse 53. You must understand that this darkness was first of all a kind of sign of the fact that the powers of darkness were there at Calvary. Jesus in Luke 22, verse 53, this was still in the garden when he was captured there, said to those who came to capture him, when I was daily with you in the temple, he stretched forth no hands against me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. And those words of Jesus were fulfilled in the darkness that came on Calvary when he was crucified. They were God's sign that this was, as Jesus had said, the hour of the powers of darkness. They were all there to do whatever they possibly could against the Son of God. And to do that because he himself, in his obedience to the Father, had given himself into their hands, allowing them to do whatever they willed to him. This is your hour. And the power of darkness and the darkness that came on Calvary says, yes, indeed, to that. But you must also understand that that darkness was a sign of God's presence at Calvary as the one who sovereignly rules even over the powers of darkness. You should remember in that connection, what Psalm 18 says. Psalm 18, verses 9, 10, and 11. He bowed the heavens also and came down, and darkness was under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and did fly 
Yea, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of the sky. God was at Calvary as the one who makes darkness and the powers of darkness his own secret place in which he does according to the good pleasure of his will and accomplishes his sovereign purpose. But that means the fact that God was there at Calvary, sovereign over the powers of darkness, that means also that he was there as the God of judgment. Psalm 18 describes his coming in judgment for salvation too, but for judgment first of all. Darkness is not only in Scripture a picture of all the powers of sin and evil, but a picture of God's judgment, which he often executes through them, as he did in the death of our Savior. They were in his hand to execute judgment. They themselves, of course, would come under the judgment of God. Now is the judgment of this world, Jesus said, a few days before he was crucified. But that would wait. In fact, in its final outpouring of wrath, the judgment of those who crucified our Savior and of all who are guilty of the death of Christ, who have his blood on their hands, must wait till the great day of judgment. But God was there as the God of judgment to execute judgment that's what the darkness is all about. Upon his own, only begotten, beloved son. And that's evident from that heart-rending, agonized cry that we hear out of the dark. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now you know, must know, to understand that, 
that there on the cross, that was true of his whole life, but as the Heidelberg Catechism says, especially on the cross, he was under the judgment of God because he had taken your sins. Think of them a minute. The sins of which you're ashamed. The sins that you hope no one else ever knows. Sins of youth that make you hang your head. All your sins were made his. That's part of what Luther, Martin Luther, called the great exchange. Our sins became his, his sins. It was made sin for us who knew no sin, so that his righteousness might be ours. I don't think that we fully appreciate what that means. But if you turn to Psalm 69, you will perhaps get get a sense of that. That your sins became the sins of the Son of God. So really, so truly, That in Psalm 69, verse 5, he speaks of them as his own sins. We know from the rest of the psalm that it's Jesus who is speaking in this psalm. There can be absolutely no doubt about that in view of the rest of the psalm. But in verse 5, he says, O God, thou knowest my foolishness and my sins are not hid from thee. And he's talking about your sins and mine, which in the righteousness and justice of God were made his sins. So that he became the sin-bearer, 
it's almost too much to think about, isn't it? That my sins became the sins of the Son of God, but there was no other way. In the wisdom and righteousness of God, that atonement could be made for those sins because I myself could never, ever in a thousand lifetimes even begin to pay for and deal with those sins. Not even one of them. And so God made those sins his and came as the God of judgment to Calvary to deal with those sins, leaving us bystanders who can only watch and wonder at what happened there. And so, in the darkness, he brought on our Lord Jesus Christ all the darkness of his judgments against sin, all the darkness of hell itself. You remember that hell is referred to as dark in the word of God all the darkness of his anger against sin which in the case of the ungodly and unbelieving burns for eternity brought that all on Christ And perhaps because that's so far beyond anything we can understand, he hid it in the darkness that came on the land, except for that awful cry that we hear out of the darkness, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That is Christ in hell, in outer darkness, in the darkness that comes when God visits sin in his just judgment and righteousness. And in all the fire of his holiness, Christ did not have to go to the place that we call hell, but endured what the Heidelberg Catechism says, the anguish and torments of hell 
there on the cross and did that for you and for me. And there isn't much more that can be said about those words of abandonment. If you ask me how the Son of God could be forsaken of God, I have no answer for that. If you ask me how the Son of God could say, my God, still speaking in perfect obedience to his Father, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I have no idea except it must be true that by those words our Lord Jesus Christ tells us that's why he spoke aloud not just out of anguish but so that you and I could hear there in the darkness he spoke so that we would know that he went to hell that he suffered the wrath of God against sin. He, the dearly beloved of his father, suffered his father's anger against sin. And you and I have to know that, of course, because there's no hope besides That's the only way of salvation. In the eternal wisdom of God himself. Could there have been another way? Only God can answer that question. But this was the way that he from eternity determined to deal with your sins and with mine, to make them Christ's, and then to deal with Christ as though he were the sinner and not me, not you. Amazing, isn't it? That's why I said a moment ago, all you can really do when you consider these things is stand aside and wonder. And say or sing, my God, how great thou art. Thy ways are in the sea, O God, through mighty waters deep and broad, none understood but God alone. To man thy footsteps 
were unknown. But safe thy people thou didst keep, almighty shepherd of thy sheep. We sang a little while, a little while ago, Psalter number 240, that I mentioned the fact that those are the words of Christ in his suffering. Verse 2, or stanza 2, we sang, Thou hast brought me down to darkness. Neath thy wrath I am oppressed. All the billows of affliction overwhelm my soul distressed. And that's what's expressed in those words of abandonment that Christ spoke out of the darkness and out of the darkness that came on his own soul as the substitute and sin-bearer of his people. But it's in that way that he became the light of life, the light of the world. And that too is beyond comprehension. That suffering for six hours on the cross. What for the ungodly and unbelieving is an eternity of wrath. He brought forth light and life for his own, for you and for me. It became for us that light life. That, as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, is the light that shines in the gospel. God, who called light out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts, Paul says, to give the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And when you and I believe the gospel, then it's just like seeing light out of darkness, isn't it? Light out of the darkness of our guilt. Light out of the darkness of our sin and unbelief. We who still have to pray, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Light out of the darkness of all our troubles and trials. Light for the darkest and most difficult times of our lives. Light that will shine, as the Word of God says, 
until the perfect day when there will be no more darkness. Not in this world, not in my heart. No darkness forever. That light shines in the face of Jesus Christ, but shines in his face as the one who went down into darkness on our behalf. And it's because of what he did on the cross that there is light for you and for me. That there's light in our marriages, in our homes, here in the church. And I'm not talking about those lights. You know that. That's the reason why there's light at the graveside and in the hospital. Light for those who can't even come to worship with us anymore because of their trials and the suffering that God has given them. They have light. I saw that this past week when I visited a few of those who aren't here this evening. There's light always for God's people until that day comes when we shine as lights in the firmament of God. Shine as the sun itself. Not with the light that's our own, but with the light that shines in Jesus Christ, our Savior. A good friend of our family, a young man with five children, member of our Grace Protestant Reformed Church, died early this morning after a long struggle with cancer. Can you even imagine how dark today and the days ahead and the weeks and months ahead would be for his wife and for his five children? If Jesus was not the light of life and was not that because of what he did on the cross in the darkness when he was forsaken of his heavenly father and forsaken even then as part of his perfect 
obedience to his Father. Truly, truly, the people that sat in darkness have seen a great light. And I trust that you count yourselves among that people you young people and you children as well as the adults. People that sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon them that sat in the shadow of death hath the light shined. What else is there? in all the world to believe. And it's through faith, that amazing gift of God, that though I do not understand, I know that he who spoke out of the darkness spoke on my behalf. And it's by faith that the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ shines in my heart and in yours. Isn't it? We call it Good Friday. Ever think about that? Not a good day for our Savior. But the worst of days. But because it was the worst of days for him, forsaken of God, it is good. Friday for you and me, isn't it? Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy wondrous works and ways the saving work of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we thank thee with all our hearts this evening that thou hast given us to him so that in the valley of the shadow of death, even there, and in the grave, his light, might shine and give life and hope and peace. Forgive the sins we have committed in speaking of these high and holy things which are beyond our understanding. And forgive, too, the sins that we commit when we hear of them again.
Forgive them for the sake of him who was forsaken in the darkness. Forgive us always our sins until we stand before thee without spot or wrinkle in the company of the elect in life eternal. And may that day of light and peace come quickly. All this we ask in our Savior's name.